You are listening to World Harvest Church's weekly podcast. WHC is a cross-cultural church with passion for reaching the lost and hurting. We are mission-minded and committed to raising up generations of mighty men and women of God. If you're in the Atlanta area, check us out on Sunday mornings at either 9 or 11.15 a.m. or on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. From wherever you're listening, we hope this week's message empowers you to grow and go. I want you to go to the first book of Thessalonians, if you'd like, to read with me one verse of chapter 2, verse 4. But before I do that, I want to talk about passing God's test. Can you say it with me? Passing God's test. I want to talk about the call of God on our lives because there's a call on every believer. And there are tests that go with the call. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Some people don't want to pass the test. you got to pass the test for God to use you like he wants to use you. And so I want to share this because I believe it's an important part of answering the call. A lot of times people are not willing to pass tests. And um, they try to step out on the call without passing the test and they have an explosion. I've watched people's lives get destroyed because they get out ahead of God. And God doesn't have the anointing on them. Fulfill what they're called to do. I've seen young ministers step out with no testing. They barely get saved. Next, you know, they're pastoring, and I've watched them tear up more than they build. And it's not the plan of God. So I want to read the scripture, and then we're going to go to pray. And by the way, Thessalonica is still a city today in Macedonia. It is um, has great history. Before I read this, Paul was in Thessalonica, got run out of town. They tried to kill him. So he went to Athens. And then in Athens, he left Timothy behind. And Timothy told him what was going on. So he got run out of town. They were barely three to six months old in the Lord, these Christians. So he's trying to really affirm his authority over the churches and the validity that he has to bring them the leadership as a father in the Lord. So here begins to read in verse 4. But as we have been approved, everybody say approved. As we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Father, I'm asking you to give me the word of God with the anointing of heaven, boldly, clearly, with freedom. I ask you to anoint our hearing to hear it, what you're speaking that would listen with the ears of our heart. Do a work in us, Lord, for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God does not test us, James 1.17, with evil things. God does not send cancer to teach you something. God does not break your bones to teach you something. We put human beings that do that in prison. How can you give that to God? But God will test you with timing and allow things to happen to stretch you and to purify your character so you can be more useful for him. If you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of people that had to go through tests because God's interested in the heart. There is a call of God. There is an eternal purpose for your life that has to be answered. You've got to answer to God one day for what you did with your life on earth. 
Did you do what he asked you to do? Did you fulfill the call? Well, I have a job. Well, I have a children. I have a wife. I have a husband. And I'm just as busy as I can be, Pastor. I'm just trying to survive. That may be true, but that's still not your call. Your call has to deal, deal with how I can affect my world for Christ based upon what the talents, gifts, and whatever God's given me. I can do something for his kingdom. Amen. And so God looks at the heart, and God always looks at how your attitude is and how you're prepared to receive a greater anointing and a mantle to do greater things for God. Because the heart, out of the heart, everything flows from the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. The wellsprings of life come out of your heart. And so God understands when you're born again, your spirit is made brand new. Everyone said hallelujah for that. You get changed from the inside out. Your spirit man is a brand new person, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. One that's never existed before, God recreated you. Isn't that a wonderful news? And then he also says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship. The word, if you look it up, is peomem, which means the, it's like that we get the word poetry from that. You say, you are a work of art that God created. There's no one else like you. Seriously. The way he puts your emotions, your talents, your looks, your, even, your, even your walk. Everyone's got something different. Size, stature, look. I mean, everything. You're unique. There's not another one like you in all the earth. Someone says, thank God. No, but that's, that's a joke. But the purpose of this message is this. Your spirit may be reborn. You may have this treasure in earthen vessels, as the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 17, I believe it is. You have this treasure in earthen vessels. That God lives inside of you. And as wonderful as it is, you're a literal moving ark of God. Yet your mind, your will, and your emotions are unredeemed. They have to be trained. You have to be trained to renew your mind. You have to be trained to bring your spirit to be, have enough strength in it so it tells your body what to do. It tells your emotions what to do. And that will come through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. And there's one thing about this development. It takes time. It takes time to change attitudes. It takes time to change thought patterns. It takes time to change behavior. I promise you it does. And so when God comes along and says, listen, I will... The call of God is dependent on you passing the test. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Because they don't want to pass the test. There's a test. We know about tests. You have them when you're growing up in school. What's the test for? We have a vice principal here of a high school right there. Christian Barnes. Give Christian a hand. Thank God for him serving out there. But we give tests, or the last time I checked, we were still giving tests. But we have tests, and we have to find out what you know. Now, I come from the British Commonwealth countries, and anything, is anybody out there has experienced that? They're very strict there. Everything is on points. There's no grades. And everything, there's no multiple choice, so fill in the blanks, the true and false. They, do, they don't do that, because you can sometimes slip and slide. But you got to fill out everything. You either know it or you don't. And everything is comprehensive. What does that mean? 
When you're in first grade, at the end of first grade, they test you on everything you ever learned in first grade. When you get to second grade, they test you on everything you learned in second grade. Very serious. When I grew up, you were never allowed to use a pencil. You'd be taken to the headmaster and given a whipping if you used a pencil. What did you use? A fountain pen with ink for everything. Can you imagine a seven-year-old with a fountain pen? He gets all over his clothes. That's just the way it is. You had to do math problems. I remember growing up. You could only use a fountain pen. Well, what happens if, if, if as you're calculating the math problem, it's wrong? You had to put a big X and start again. My math book was full of X's. It was just, <laughs> well, it took me several times to get it. But it was just strict. And then your exam, after you took the exam, they would add up all your exam scores and put it as a total and type it out. The nerve, the unmitigated goal. And stick it on a piece of paper in front of the classroom for the world and all of God and everybody to see. And if you're in the black, that means you pass. But if, you were, if your numbers are in the red, that meant you don't need to go to find out what, to, how, what was going to happen. You knew. You were retaking the grade. So you know what you did as a student? I mean, it, I know why they did that. It was to intimidate you. By God, you're going to be in the black. And you want to be as high up in that black section as you could. You know what I'm saying? But you were tested. Why? To see what you knew or what you didn't know. That's the purpose of the test. We use all kinds of tests in our world. We've got all kinds of tests. Ralph Nader formed a whole business about testing the vehicles. You wouldn't ask GM to test the vehicle because they'll come up with all the good parts. Ralph Nader found out that what was not working right, what needs to be improved on. That's the whole purpose of a test. You can improve whatever you're testing to be better. That's the purpose of the test with you and I. He wants to improve our character. He wants us to grow up to the place where we can tr be trusted with the call that you've been given. Look at Abraham. Why would God hold off on Abraham having a, ba having a child? He promised him a child. And yet it was 25 years. I mean, that's a long time. She's finally 90, Sarah. Abraham's, Abraham at that time was, a, not, was 100. Why would God do that? Is that uh, but I say why this is just to show Abraham, you've got to trust me. It's a test. And then even when he had his son, in Genesis 22, God told him to go take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him as a sacrifice unto God. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and put him on the mountain and kill him. And the Bible said it clean, plainly in Genesis 22, it was to test Abraham. Was Abraham's heart first for God, or was it for himself? You look at, the, you look at uh, Joseph. Joseph was tested. The Bible says, Psalm 105, 18 and 19. It said they locked him, put his feet in fetters. They put his hands in irons. And they said it hurt him. But it said that that iron came into his soul. It said the word of the Lord tried him. He'd done nothing wrong. But God was showing Joseph, I've got to see if I can trust you because your destiny is to be the second in command of Egypt. And basically rule the world second to Pharaoh, the most powerful nation at that time. So yes, God will test you. He'll put Moses 40 years in the desert. I promise you, you cannot find anyone in the Bible that has not had to go through tests. 
even the disciples, it was three and a half years of following Jesus. How would you like to work with Jesus three and a half years? You better not be late. You better not be dragging. I mean, because he'd rebuke you in a, in a New York second. But he would love you. Amen. And so this scripture is so powerful, which, which um, we just read. Because Paul talks about he, now look at these words. But as we have been approved by God, he was approved. You know that word actually means testing? Did you know what that word is the exact same Greek word as the same word at the bottom of the verse, who tests our hearts? Does God test our hearts? Answer, absolutely. He will test your heart. Why? What's in there? So to be approved is a, is a, is a quality test to find out what's really in there. And let me say something about Paul. Paul, in his own admonition, was a Pharisee. But he even said this for himself. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, I was trained in Tarsus, which is in southern India, southern Turkey, and I was trained under Gamaliel, the leading scholar of the day. Basically, let me put in a nutshell what Paul was like. He had a PhD. He was an he was an orator of excellence. He was extremely cultured. He was a Roman citizen. He was very gifted. He was very talented. But here's what he did. When he got hit on the road by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Ananias three days later showed up and prophesied the calling. You are called with a mighty calling. You're going to go to the Gentile nations and bear my name. Three days later, he gets out and he heads straight to the temple and tries to fulfill his calling. And he begins to preach. And the Bible said he preached with such ferocity and such skill that he got the Jews so mad they just wanted to kill him. So he had to be lowered down from a basket from the wall of, Dam of Damascus and make his escape. But here's what Paul was doing. Paul said to himself, you know what? I'm talented. I'm cultured. I'm gifted. I'm educated. I'd be good. And now that I'm saved, Jesus is so blessed to have me. I'm just going to move into the temple and tell them how to do it. Well, Paul, in his own admonition, describes the kind of person he was. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was insolent. And in King James says, I was injurious. If you look at those words, a blasphemer is someone who is arrogant, proud, and trashes people with their mouth. A blasphemer. No respect. Cuts you down to the, to the ground with his words. You ever met people like that? Now, I don't want to... I better be careful. But certain people with their tongues have like a Zorro sword. <laughs> And by the time you're done, you're left bleeding. You know people like that? You know relatives like that? They can never say anything nice. Here comes the criticism. 
It's never good enough. You know what No matter what you do, there's something that you could have done better. I never have Thanksgiving with those people in Jesus' name. But he was a, he was a blasphemer. He was, the Bible said, he was insolent, injurious. If you looked it up, it means that you, you bully people. You're arrogant with your treatment of people. It's like a bully in a playground that just picks on the same child all the time. Persecutor. It's along the same line. Persecutor. You always, you know, the, if you look at Paul, Paul reveled in taking Christians out of their homes and sticking them in prison and then watching them get killed. He was the one holding the clothes of those that stoned Stephen. He's a man that almost had a sadistic view of torturing and injuring other people that he didn't like or thought that they needed to get off the planet. He said, so picture this. If you could see a picture of Paul, short, stocky person, full of himself, arrogant, overconfident, running his mouth. Man, here he is supposed to be a Pharisee loving God, but his heart was lost. And now his heart is born again. And Paul steps up and said, I'm here. Next time we find him is in Acts 9. He goes from Damascus to Jerusalem. When he walks into to this church there, it said the people of the church of Jerusalem said, I don't know about you. Are you for real? They were afraid of him. They thought he could be a spy to betray them. They were not trusting of him at all. But we watch him in that same chapter. Here he goes again, Paul. He marches in the temple and begins to preach to the Greeks. They calls them the Hellenists and got a riot going on. They wanted to kill him. And then the church fathers talked to Paul. Actually, anyway, his name Saul. He says, Saul, we are sending you to Caesarea, which is on the coast. And then from Caesarea, we're sending you back home to Tarsus. Do you know why? Because you think you're all that and a bag of chips. And then the next scripture says, and the church had quiet and peace and was edified after Saul left Jerusalem. But you know, Jesus will mess you up. As green as he was, he spent three years in Arabia. Him and Jesus. You go to Galatians 1.17. In fact, you go to Galatians 1, 11, 12, 13. He talks about how he was Jesus personally revealed to him the doctrines of the New Testament church. Now, if anything, that would blow your head up. But no, you know what? Barnabas took him to Antioch. And from Acts 9 to Acts 13, you don't hear anything about Paul. He's in the church of Antioch, one of the largest churches of the day, a spiritual center. You don't hear him teaching. You don't hear him preaching. Now think about this. As he sat in that church, he said, 
I'm the most gifted person in this church. I'm the most knowledgeable person in this church. I'm the most cultured person in this church. And I've had revelations of Jesus for three years. And I looked it up. I got a timeline, historic timeline. He spent eight to nine years in, in this church of Antioch just never being a teacher. What's that called? Fire. Why? Fire does several things with metals. When you heat gold or silver, it brings impurities. But fire does something else. When they take metal and they want it for different things, they put it through different levels of heat. Cool. Heat is called tempering the metal. If you want the hardest kind of steel, you've got to put it through the hardest kind of heat, hardest kind of heat. If you get a drill bit, that is a very hard piece of metal. It's hard because it's been treated. The actual heat changes the nature of the steel and makes it hard. The heat makes it hard. You take glass. You temper glass. Tempered glass has gone through heat. It's glass that's been heated up. And it is twice as strong as regular glass. Paul was asked by God to write about half the New Testament and lead the church. And all I know, the greater the ministry, the greater the test. You, the bigger the building, the deeper the foundation. And so Paul had to sit there knowing what he was in him. You know, I was looking up the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs considered the epitome of a fighting machine. And the more I read about it, I thought, you got to be nuts to sign up. Like, this is just the entry level. This is, this is just a sign whether you can just pass, you can just fill out the form. You've got to do 500 yards and some, like, you got you to do this one after another. 500 yard run. 42 push-ups, everything's got to be done in two minutes. Uh, 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 42 push-ups, 50 sit-ups, six pull-ups. And then you got to, they take your pants, your shirt, they, they, they put you with army gear, and you got to run this incredible, like 1.5 miles in 12 minutes. And that's just the entry. Then when you get in, everything I just said is doubled. Then they double it again. And they got level one, level two, level three. If you make level three, like 30% make the level three, 20%. The actual one out of 10 applicants actually makes it out to the third degree. Why do they do that? To test you. To build you. They find out what's weak. Because what a test does, it shows where you're weak. So what tests come in your life? Because things are not coming to the surface until you put under pressure. That impatience, that shortness won't come until pressure comes against you. Anybody sit there and say, I love everybody. But there's no pressure. What's your stress level? Hallelujah. Oh, let's hear a hallelujah. When you come on a mission trip, you've had four hours sleep, and you get to go up there and preach. Let's see how you say hallelujah then. And people, and people are spending forever in the bathroom, and you only got five minutes to get out there to preach because this person's taking too long. Hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about? No, there's different things you go through. That uh, you can put yourself under a pressure position, but it will show what's weak. That's why God showed up 
and keep punching Paul. You stay seated. Be quiet. Can you imagine his flesh? Just cutting it off, cutting it off. That's a, you know what? It takes time. It takes time. You know what? It's not until Acts 13, 2. After about 10, 12 years that we finally have this breakthrough. As they missed the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called them. It was a voice from heaven. Too many people move into ministry with just a good idea. Don't, don't, don't. Don't go to the, the store and buy a microphone. You got to hear, what is God saying? Have you passed the test? God sent him. But not until he passed the test. If someone comes to me and say, you know what, Pastor, I feel like I'm called to ministry. My eyebrows go up. I get a little smile. I say, you don't say. Because I believe you should test those that say they have a call. How do I test them? I give them work. Like what? Like as much as I can come up with. <laughs> do this, do that. And you know, I'll test them. I'll see if they can hang. Can you hang? Anybody can shine for a day. Anyone do hallelujah for an hour. Can you hang? Can you keep hanging? Because let me tell you what happens when pressure, your stinking attitude starts coming to the surface. I tell you what, who do they think? I, listen to me. I, I tell you one thing. God said, no, that's got to come out. I'm just got to boil up. I've got to get it out of you. Because God, let me tell you this. God's going to keep working on your character until it becomes more and more like him. He was working on Paul's arrogance. He's working on God, on his insolence, his pride, his leaning on his own strength. That tells you something. What you are in the world doesn't mean anything in the kingdom. You may be King Farouk in the world. But when you come in the kingdom... God says, pick up the dish towel and clean the dishes because you got something to learn. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. I promise you, you got to understand this. Answering the call of God is very, very important. You pay attention. In that one verse is so much meat because basically he says, you know what? I've been approved by God. I was tested. I know what tests are all about. I sat on three years of hearing Jesus speak to me personally. And for a better part of a decade, I sat and did nothing. I had to serve in the house. God tested my heart. It's very important we get this. So we can pass God's test so God can promote you. But let me tell you about testing. The timing of the testing is on God. But the length of time that you're in the test is on you. It's on you. When are you going to learn to submit to the ways of God? 
When are you going to learn to do things without copying an attitude? When are you going to be humble enough to recognize it's not about you? It's about the Christ that's in you. When we're impatient or short, uh, you know what that is? It's a sign of pride. Your pride's bubbling to the surface. Pressure showed it. That's why when we, you know, you have to be careful who you bring on to ministry. It sure gets quiet in here when you're teaching the truth. <laughs> Let's say approved, approved by God. So when we get the heat, and the heat will come, and the heat will come. Jesus is the great refiner. He said, I've come to separate the wheat from the chaff. And there's a lot of chaff in our lives. He says he wants to separate and burn it. He wants to put the heat, he wants to burn it. Cleanse you. And I don't care how long you've been with the Lord. It's all about how you yield to him is going to make the difference to your fruitfulness. Let me just say this to you. I didn't just take the application yesterday. God spoke to me, I'm in corporate America. I'm blessed. I'm successful. I've been promoted, promoted. I'm on my way up. The CEO of our company was in our office. There's a $1.5 billion company a year. His son was my boss. I was slave to be under him. Everything was turning up roses until God started messing with me. Like he may mess with you today. He said, quit. I said, what you say? Quit. Resign. Go into full-time ministry. Let me just fast forward. The Lord had me join, I went through, I won't go through the whole story, but when I became the person on staff with our pastor, I was a little like Paul. Okay, this church has got this salesman here. Three kind of, we used to say, the three kind of people in the world, people that make things happen, people that watch things happen, and people that wonder what's happening. <laughs> and I'd be the one that makes things happen. Yes, sirree. God's so lucky to have me. My corporate arrogance and stinking pride. I can't imagine Jesus turning with the Father. This will take a while. This will take a while. I remember I felt like when I was, when I, I've left the ministry, I mean, I left my business, I felt like, hey, God, you want, me, you want me to be a preacher, right, God? I'm going to get, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to just step into a pulpit from sales to preaching. God said, no. You're going to serve your pastor. Well, oh, really? Yeah. You know why? Why? You're not ready. 
It kind of hurt my pride, but I went and signed up, and the pastor took me in. I come from corporate Atlanta, downtown, nice office. A lot of people answering to me. They said, let me show your office. It was the beginning of the fire. I wasn't upstairs. Everybody else was. I was downstairs. They took me to the basement. It was a walkout basement, granted. But they took me down there and they said, and, uh, here's your office. Remember, they opened the door. It had linoleum on the floor. I hate linoleum. It had a big concrete pillar in the middle of the room. It looked like a glorified. They cleaned out the closet for me. They had the fluorescent lights. You know, they go. Guaranteed to break out the Tylenol bottle. They had a desk. It was six feet. It was, a, it was one of those fiberboard old tables that to fold out legs. Remember with the, the wood grain vinyl peeling at the edges. You know, you, just, you, you get the picture. That's your desk. And the chair, I'll never forget it, was a beige fold out metal Sunday school chair. <laughs> and then for good measure... He said, and here's your, we got your coffee cup. It's a big old thick earthen coffee cup with a crack all the way down it. <laughs> People from my office would call me, hey, we want to come see you. I said, don't come. <laughs> We're not ready for you yet. We just stay where you are. <laughs> the Lord had me go through years because I was a slow learner. Every year I'd get alone with God for a week and fast and pray. God, I'm ready. He said, you're not ready. The next thing I know, the pastor, I mean, my whole vision of ministry just changed. I thought, you know, I heard, you know, hallelujah chorus in the background, and I was just, ministry. No, no. Bam! We're building a brand new building. He comes downstairs, he says, I heard you got some construction experience. Who told you that? And uh, you, you know about painting? Well, maybe, yeah. I need you to just head a volunteer group from the church to paint this humongous building. We're going to save so much money. I remember arguing with him. No, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. I would tell him. I'd talk to him. I'd, well, pray about it. He'd come back down. So the next day he said, I've been praying about it. I think you should do it. No, 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 no. That's not God. No, no, no. It's not God. I, don't, I, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't come from corporate America to go get on this stuff and do that. No, you're not doing it. Finally, I had a surrender of God. God was ready to tell me, now you're disobeying the pastor. Do you know what it's like to get a bunch of volunteers out there? <laughs> I'll never forget it. We had block filler. It was, all, it, was all, it was a huge cinder block building, two stories high, 120, 30 feet long, 75 feet wide, with rooms on the side. And he said, okay, we had a thing called block filler. Block filler is a heavy white paint that you rub into the block cinder, but it dries like a rock. So I explained to the volunteers, do not get this on any of the metal door jams or windows. And they're like, uh, 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 uh. they then proceeded, everybody, to plaster it on everything, everywhere, all over the church. I'm screaming, no, no, not that. I'm wiping it down. It's just Finally, at the end of the day, they had destroyed the church. 
Here I am the next day with sandals. I said, you know, I told the pastor, forget the volunteers. Forget them. We'll be here till Jesus comes. So me and one guy said, I knew what I'd do. I just got to do it myself. I'll never forget it. I was covered in paint. I step out, and one of my top reps pulls up in his new sports car. Gets out. He looks at me and said, my God, what happened to you? God just kept hitting me. Get it out of you. You're nothing outside of me. You can leave your corporate pride in the trash can. I can't use it because your heart's so full of you. I remember when I signed out, I thought, well, I know I can speak. I know it'll be using me. First year, nothing. Second year, nothing. Third year, nothing. Fourth year, nothing. But you know what God did to me? As he began to grind and burn off that the ego, the pride, I got to a place to help me, God. By the third year, I didn't care if I ever preached or not because my identity was not in that. You know what it switched to? One thing only. I just want to obey God, whatever he tells me to do. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask. I just want to do it. And you know what? Obeying God for me, serve the pastor. Whatever I can do to serve him. And I just shifted my whole emphasis. And even though it was tough and hard, wasn't always easy, but I had such fulfillment, just serve him. If the pastor said, I wonder if I get a light up there someday, I'd have it up there the next day. In fact, I carried it so far. You know how we are at extremes. I'm a person of extreme. If I do something, I go, and finally God said, no, no, not, that's too far. Now this way, now to go over here. So I was so loyal to him. I, was, I would have laid my life down for him. I was loyal to him because we're going through kind of seditions and all this stuff. I stuck with him. Because you know what? If I serve him, I serve God. That's all God asked me to do. Be a servant. If I serve him, I serve God. That's it. Now listen. And so uh, then the Lord called me out of the church to start this church. It was, I had a rhema. God will give you a rhema if you are doing your part. And when you pass God's test, God gave me a rhema right on my shoulder. He said, go to Roswell and plant a church. This church came from a rhema. After I passed God's test. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, listen, loyalty to man above loyalty to God is idolatry. Because I shifted so much. So I had to back off till the pastor got to obey God. And he blessed me, Pastor Bob Wright. He was here just a few weeks ago. But let me say something about tests. You never quit taking them. Because as you're pushed and pressured, stuff boils up, you got to deal with it. God's dealing with our hearts all the time. So if you want to step into the call of God, you've got to recognize you've got to pass God's test. Can you be loyal to Him? 
Can you be faithful? Can you do the little things with excellence and keep doing them? Or are you going to start complaining? When you complain, have a, ga- have a bad attitude, guess what? It's delayed. Or what God had intended gets put off. You don't get the full measure. So what is the solution? Total surrender to your life to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, what Jesus wants to bring you to a place where it's not about your talent and your giftings. It's about you yielding to the Holy Spirit completely. Because what Jesus wants out of you is like an open-hearted vessel that he can flow through. And he doesn't. He may use some of your gifts. He may use some of your, your talents. But it's. But it'll always be because of his strength, his empowerment, and his endowment. And so, if anybody gets any glory, it'll only be to him. Because you know what? I'm nothing. It's him, and it's only him. And so, we got to understand how important this lesson is. Paul passed God's test. He said, "I passed God's test to the point where I don't care. I don't preach to please men." You know, when we first started this church, had 12 people, you preached to please men. Everybody come back now. (laughs) You're wonderful. Everything about you is wonderful. About a few months in, God said, don't tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to hear. Tell them what they need. And every now and again, they, (laughs) wake up. You're sleeping in the spirit. If they don't like it, they'll leave. And many leave. But I found when I lay my head on the pillow, I told him the truth, Jesus. I didn't come to please man. I came to please you because I have to answer to you, not to them. Ultimately, I've got to talk to you and you've got to affirm what I say. So there's a calling on your life. The Bible says out of Hebrews 12.1 that we have to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. You watch these runners. I love to watch the running on the Olympics, especially those who are Christians to give their testimony. Notice how they are. There's not an ounce of fat on those people. I mean, they are, they are lean, mean, running machines. And you notice they, they don't wear big overalls. They just wear, I mean, it, I mean they, are, they, are, they are down to the bare minimum. And they fly. I always like to picture, because I like to run. I thought, I want to get, if I was on the line with them, where would I fit? My wife said, when they went bang, they'd be halfway there. You'd be just getting up from the block. When they crossed the line, I said, which way did they go? <laughs> Was it this way or that way? But you know what? They stripped down. They're light. And what God wants to tell us, I, you know what? You can't run your race encumbered with all your stuff. How cool you are and how smart you are and why doesn't everybody look at me? And That's all got to be buried. It's got to be taken out. God wants to burn it out in Jesus' name. He wants you to get to a place of total surrender where it's not about me. It's about him in me. And when you get ministry, you're going to be offended. People will step on you. People will abuse you. People will not take credit. Well, I didn't know it gave me credit. It's just testing to see if you can do it for him or for other people. But, and, and I did all this stuff, but no one ever saw it. I got no recognition. God says, I'm watching it. I'm just testing you. Go talk to Moses pushing sheep with a stick for 40 years. Ask him about it. Where, where, where am I? Let me tell you what. God can promote you. There's a story about a famous pastor I know, big church in D.C. His brother was a worship leader, and he was the janitor. And it was going to be his brother, the worship leader, 
that was going to be the successor. But the janitor, I've read his story. I know him. He said he was cleaning. He was grumbling. Clean. He said, I get him come clean the church. And my other brother's leading worship. They see him. And he's going to be leader. And here I am. He said, God began dealing with his heart about, are you doing this for, why are you doing this? He said, I began to do it for God. In fact, I would go on long fasts. I would just, I would fast sometimes 40 days. I would spend the noon hour praying. I'd say, God, get my heart right. God, get my heart right. God, get my heart right. And you know what happened? He did it for several years. And then he found his heart. He said he didn't care. He cleaves unto God. He had total peace. He loved his brother being there. He didn't care anything. God's fire tested him. You know what happened? The man was up there going, yeah. His ego got bigger and bigger. Demons got on him. The dad began looking, go, wait a minute here. This man began to look at his son. The Lord said, I don't want the elder to leave. I want the one who's the janitor. And now he's the pastor. A $40 million church downtown Washington, D.C. He's been there for years. Because God saw his what? His heart. Because he was allowed it to be tested and tried. And he came forth as pure gold. So I'm telling you, with God, he can take you from the backfield and put you in the front field in a nanosecond. He can, listen, he can, he can, he just speak to you. He said, do this and this. Go here. Do this. And here's the anointing to do it. And all of a sudden, poof, and people say, he was a success overnight. No, it was a long night <laughs> of testing where no one saw anything. No one saw David in the, listen to me, seven years David was being chased by Saul. He's the anointed one. I know, but let me tell you, God will allow you to be tested. Now watch this was scary. If you don't pass the test, you will not be chosen. So you can make up in your mind, I'm going to pass the test. In Jesus' name, I'm going to be faithful, what God calls me to do. I'm going to be, have a good attitude. I'm going to do it as unto him, not unto me, or getting accolades. And you know what happened? You'll come forth as tried, pure gold. And God can use your life. Now, I prophesy to everyone here, everyone's chosen. God's going to use every single one here today for his glory. In Jesus' mighty name. We need every available man and woman for the task of bringing the kingdom to pass on this earth. And God's looking for the people that are willing to say, Jesus, use my life. Let me just be real honest with you. Oh, I see you don't be that honest, honey. I want to be. Here we are in a very spiritual place called the encounter. I'm the teacher, one of the teachers. You think you're so seasoned, but you can always mess up. It was a minor thing, but I'm sitting there, and I was, I can't share what I was doing because I could let, but I was sharing, but I got a little irritated, and I got short, and my daughter was trying to tell me just to bring it down, so I then just had these words, and told my wife that. 
This is about being a salesman versus an engineer. I'm a salesman. Engineers, they like to have everything in order. And that's good. We have to have that. But just stay in my lane. We need each other. But I said something short. No one really saw it, perhaps, but my wife, she said, she, I sat down, she said, that was pride. But she said it real nicely. <laughs> you know what? My first reaction was to resent that. What? I'm the man of God. God said, no, that was pride. <laughs> I had to go before the Lord. I said, God, I'm uh, here again. <clears throat> Remember me, the slow learner? <laughs> but you know what? I have to be real with God. Because God will always find another thing. I've got to cut that off. So we've got to admit it. We've got to own it. We've got to confess it and ask God's forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Outside of Jesus, I'm a zero. Where my man go? And I'll say this. What Jesus wants out of us, the only way it works is complete brokenness before him. Our self-will our pride, our accomplishments are the very thing that block what God wants to do through us. Smith Wigglesworth had this prayer, the great man of faith. This was his constant prayer. Lord, I want less and less of me. My stubbornness, my pride, my self-resilience, my independence, my know-it-all spirit. I got an answer for everything. When outside of him, you're nothing. He just wants us to have a, a broken and contrite heart. Yielded to him. Recognizing everything he does through you is because of him, not because how great you are. I believe God wants to do great things in every life here today. But you have to come to the place of surrender and lay all your accomplishments and all your degrees and all your even experience. Well, I've had so much experience in church that could be dangerous. You could be a little Pharisee in disguise. Paul had to get zeroed out. But Paul went through the greatest trials any Christian has ever been through. He would never have endured if he wasn't tested. That fire hadn't burnt upon his character for those 10 or 12, 13 years. He would never have survived. He wouldn't have made it. His flesh would have taken him out. You either crucify the flesh or the flesh will crucify you. When I deal with people in ministry, I can pick up a strut. I can pick up a look. I just pick it up. What they say and how they come across. 
always back away. Why don't you be a legend all by yourself? But I also pick up a heart that's humble, a heart that prefers others, and a heart that wants honoring to God. I like to pick up hearts that are quick to admit their mistakes and quit trying to rationalize every bit of behavior. That they're an open book, they're broken before God. I promise you, the more you pass God's tests, the more He'll use you. But you and I set how long we go through the test. So this morning, we're going to just bring it all before the Lord. I don't know where you are with Jesus today. I don't know where your heart is. Perhaps you're here and you love Jesus. But there's a lot of you in you. And the Lord wants to help you. He doesn't condemn anybody, but He wants to help us. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said, my way is narrow and is difficult. Because what will scream out to you is your comfort. You don't want discomfort. I want to be comfortable. But where God takes you, you won't always be comfortable, folks. I want it easy. The way of God is never easy. It's always a harder road. Always. You have to make up your mind, am I man enough to go the hard road, or do I just want the soft road? But you don't ever get very far with God unless you're willing to go what's not easy, do the road that's a little bit challenging. Thank you once again for listening to World Harvest Church's podcast. World Harvest Church is pastored by Pastor Merrick and Linda Houghton in Roswell, Georgia. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit our website at whcga.com. Like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel by typing WHCGA into the search bar on both platforms. And we hope you have a blessed week.